Good morning. Two rivals, Biden and DeSantis, meet in Fort Myers, Florida to announce hurricane relief. Trump calls for death to drug dealers. Is the former president a fascist? The oil cap and the war and the Herschel Walker abortion controversy. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Thursday, October 6th, 2022. President Joe Biden urged action to tackle the climate crisis after surveying damage caused by Hurricane Ian to Florida's Gulf Coast. Visiting Fort Myers, which took the brunt of the damage, Biden shook hands with Republican rival Ron DeSantis, the right-wing governor and potential challenger in the 2024 election. Biden later promised record federal aid to speed the recovery. We've seen extraordinary cooperation uh, at every level of government, as the governor has said, and the cooperation began before the storm hit. Number one priority was saving lives. At the request of the governor, I signed an emergency declaration. Let's see if this thing works. Is this one working? I signed an emergency declaration that prepositioned federal assets, including food and water and generators, not only in Florida, but in other states. So be ready if the worst happened, and it happened. At least 84 people are confirmed dead, although the unofficial death toll is over 100 and rising. Nearly 400,000 customers remain without power after the hurricane hit the state with 150 mile per hour winds. In most opinion polls, DeSantis is second only to former President Donald Trump as first choice for Republican voters for the nomination in 2024. At 44, he's three decades younger than Trump and Biden. Earlier this week, Biden visited Puerto Rico, the U.S. territory battered by Hurricane Fiona last month. And three scientists who harnessed the power of molecular interaction to study the natural world in new ways were awarded the 2022 Nobel Prize in Chemistry on Wednesday. Carolyn R. Bertozzi of Stanford University, Morton Meldel of the University of Copenhagen, and K. Barry Sharpless of Scripps Research will share the prize, $900,000 and the iconic gold medals. It was the second Nobel for Professor Sharpless, who won in 2001, too. Sharpless says his research shows, if done right, molecules can uncover gifts of nature. This week, the Nobels were also awarded to three physicists who showed nature is weirder than Einstein imagined, confirming a prediction by the physicist Albert Einstein of spooky action at a distance, just in time for Halloween. In more science news, a SpaceX rocket soared into orbit from Florida on Wednesday, carrying the next long-term International Space Station crew with a Russian cosmonaut, two Americans and a Japanese astronaut flying together in a demonstration of U.S.-Russian teamwork in space, despite Ukraine war tensions. One of the passengers of the mission, Crew 5, is a Russian astronaut, Anna Kakina. 10, 9, 8, In July, NASA and Roscosmos, the state corporation that oversees the Russian space industry, completed an agreement to fly Russian astronauts on American rockets and NASA astronauts on Russian Soyuz rockets. The head of Roscosmos, Sergei Krikalev, insisted at a joint news conference Russia is planning to stay connected to its partnership with NASA. For how long, it depends on many uh, things and uh, technical things would be probably primary. 
but talking about cooperation, I think we start to cooperate, as I said, uh, many years ago, more than 40 years ago, and we will continue our cooperation um, as long as I can imagine. Russian space czar Sergei Krikalev. The International Space Station has been occupied nonstop since 2000. The current agreement for joint management of the facility ends in 2024. NASA says it wants to extend cooperation with Russia through the end of the decade. And in more national news, former President Donald Trump's lawyers are asking Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to issue an order restoring an outside reviewer's authority over about 100 documents, many marked top secret, seized from Trump's Florida home by the FBI. If granted, the order would bolster Trump's claim the documents are legally his to possess, despite laws to the contrary. The former president addressed the Department of Justice investigation of his alleged improper removal of classified documents from the White House in a speech before the conservative Hispanic Leadership Conference in Miami. He claimed he's winning over Hispanic voters. He says they support his border wall. He praised Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who's been sending thousands of asylum seekers by bus to New York City and other points, and knocked Democratic challenger Beto O'Rourke. And I was called by the governor of Texas, who's doing a very good job, and hopefully we're not going to have Beto, who says no guns, no God, and no oil. Think, how does a guy run in Texas say no guns, no God, no oil? No, think of it. But the governor called me. He said, you know, you did something that's unprecedented. You want every single area along the border. Meanwhile, Trump railed against the Department of Justice investigation into how boxes of classified documents ended up at his Mar-a-Lago estate. He claimed the DOJ fails to prosecute drug dealers who Trump says should be executed, like they do in China. You don't mind if I go a little off script? No, but think. They raided Mar-a-Lago, but the cartels, they, they have their own Mar-a-Lagos, and those are fine. Leave them alone. Let them continue to destroy our country. Think how sick it is. Think how... Sick it is what's happening in this country. We're a country of investigations. We don't talk about greatness anymore. Everybody gets investigated. So all they do is investigate. These cartels, nothing's happening to them, but they go after politicians. They go after people that are fighting like hell on the vote. They don't do the people that defrauded on the vote. They do the people that question and show proof that there was a fraudulent election. Those people are persecuted, but the people that stole the votes are left alone. You look at Philadelphia, you look at Detroit, you look at Atlanta, you look at these cities that were so corrupt, nothing happens. But the people that question the corruption, they get investigated and go through hell, and they try and ruin their lives. Here in the United States, we must also impose the most severe penalties for drug dealers. I think it's such a great story because I got to be very friendly with President Xi and a lot of them. I give an example. Putin, where it would have never happened, you would never have Russia right now in Ukraine. You would never in a million years, it wouldn't be there. So sad when I see all these people being killed, it's got to, it's got to stop. They've got to negotiate a deal, but it's got to stop. But it would have never happened. But I was with President Xi of China, very powerful man, very strong person, very smart. You know, when I call him smart, the press says, he called him smart. Well, he gets 1.5 billion people with an iron fist. I guess he's smart, right? Maybe more than smart, Linda, right? But uh, they get very upset when I say that people are smart. But he is, and I was with him, and I said to him, perhaps in his opinion, somewhat naively, President, President, do you have a drug problem in China? No. He looks at me like, what kind of a stupid question is that? Of course. 
1.5 billion people. Do you ever know? No? Why do you ask? Well, I was just curious. We have a drug problem, partially caused, as you know, by China. They have a drug problem. They make drugs for the United States. Okay, that's their drug. I said, don't do that anymore. But I said, do you have a drug problem? No, no, no. I said, uh, what do you attribute that to? Quick trial. And he said, okay, tell me, what's a quick trial? If somebody is caught in China selling drugs, he is given a trial quickly. And if guilty, they are immediately executed. And drug dealers decide that they don't want to sell drugs because China's had massive problems over the centuries with drugs, with the opium, you know. And they were taken over by weak nations in some cases because everybody was drugged out. They saw what happened. So they give the death penalty, and I'm calling for the death penalty for drug dealers and human traffickers, and you're going to stop crime in this country at a level, at a level that nobody will believe. Crime will go down, in my opinion, over 80% in one day if it's a meaningful death penalty. Trump insists he's winning over Hispanic voters, pointing to his win in 2020 among evangelical voters living along the U.S. southern border. He also went off topic to claim he'd beat George Washington and Abraham Lincoln in a landslide. Trump's statements and policies have prompted some usually sober liberals, such as MSNBC commentators Mehdi Hassan and Joy Reid, to breach the F-word, describing the former president as a fascist. The timid characterization of Trump as possibly Hitler-like is a break in a wall of silence on the subject. According to author Paul Street, whose new book, This Happened Here, Americaners, Neoliberals, and the Trumping of America, claims straight out, Trump is channeling the Fuhrer, Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler, and his mentor, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Remembered today as mass-murdering thugs and warmongers, Street spoke with the news about what he calls the Trumping of America. A bunch of us, and not just radicals like myself, were saying fascism from early on, even before Trump was elected, but even with sort of liberal, you know, smart, I think flawed, but smart liberal intellectuals like a guy named Adam Gopnik, who I quote at length in my book, in the New Yorker in May of 2016, and Robert Reich, you know, who's kind of a milquetoast progressive that I'm somewhat critical of, but he, they got it. A number of people got it. The organization refused fascism, on which on whose editorial board I sit, was formed immediately after the Trump election in 2016. So contrary to what Maddie Hassan and Joy Reid seem to think, they think they've discovered this about Trumpism. We were saying this from the beginning. What do we mean when we say it? It's really not that complicated. Uh, the, 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 there's a number of narratives in Trumpism that are shared with classic historical fascism. Uh, replacement theory, the notion that there's a, uh, a shadowy globalist elite of leftists, falsely conf- of, of liberals falsely conflated with leftists. There's a strong hint of anti-Semitism under that there's this globalist conspiracy to replace virtuous, white, homeland, hardworking citizens with swarthy, genetically, culturally inferior people of color, you know, from other countries. There's an obsession with borders, a highly rationalized demonization of others, a them-and-us politics of hatred. There's an eliminationism about racialized others and also about all other opposition parties, a, a readiness to eliminate your political enemies, including even conservatives on the right who are considered insufficiently extreme and insufficiently loyal to the maximalist cult leader. They don't have to have a mustache like Mussolini and Hitler. In 21st century, we have non-mustached fascist leaders like Bolsonaro and Trump and Viktor Orban. They've just elected a female fascist in Italy. There's this recurrent 
theme that was very strong in Trumpism of palingenetic nationalism, this aggrieved, vengeful sense of a nation, a once great nation that has been stabbed in the back and it needs to be redeemed and needs to be rejuvenated and only a violent, culty, maximalist leader and his fevered following ready to engage in political violence beneath and beyond electoral democracy if and when necessary. We had a guy who actually tried to overthrow his own government in his own country in the American imperial homeland and and we're just waiting for Garland to get up off his ass and do something about it if he can. I just got off the phone with a friend in Bavaria, Germany, and also a, a political economist in California and they're saying it's not hyperbole to say people could be starving in Germany. You know, this because of the policies of the, the imperialist policies of the United States right now in Europe as well as forget nuclear war and all oh, yeah. that. It's a bipartisan empire. I consider the United States under Obama, under Biden, to be an authoritarian imperialist regime. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I live in, you live in a, a blue city, too, and, and you've got Democrats in charge of um, racially disparate mass incarceration, mass arrest states. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's absolutely horrific. But the Democrats cling to formal constitutional rule of law, and they cling to honoring the outcomes of you know, what are bourgeois democratic elections, not real popular egalitarian people's democratic elections. But the Proud Boys wearing T-shirts saying six million wasn't enough. Six MWE, their T-shirts said, I mean, six million wasn't enough. That meant six million Jews killed in the Holocaust wasn't enough. And Pinochet did nothing wrong, which is a reference to the Chilean dictator who shot leftists in the back of the head and threw them out of helicopters. Uh, the fascists want to destroy all political opponents. I don't think the Democrats are like that. What are you going to do, Paul? Call out 5,000 people to a demonstration. What's wrong with that? Please look at my fifth chapter called Americaners and Trump and Volks. It is an in-depth social science analysis of who the Trump base was. One of the confusions amongst the people who were telling both you and me that the Trump phenomena wasn't as reactionary and fascistic as we knew and thought it was, is they, they thought that the base was much more working class and proletarian than it really is when you really dig into the numbers and you dig into the exit polls and you dig into the social science research. Actually, relatively more affluent, kind of petty bourgeois, backwards, reactionary, fundamentally authoritarian, racist, patriarchal, and sexist, and in America, with a heavy dose of evangelical Christianity. They weren't driven by economic grievance and economic anxiety primarily, certainly not more than the Democratic base. They're driven by these reactionary, anti-women, women-hating, anti-immigrant, anti-black. This is what comes out when you, when you really dig into the data, and I strongly encourage people who think the Trump phenomena was proletarian. Eric Drecher and I came up with the phrase, the Trump and proletariat, as a joke. It's just not sustained in, in the data. Paul Street, author of Americaners, Neoliberals, and the Trumping of America. He says some on the left avoid the F word with Trump because it would mean getting out of the armchair. President Biden failed in a pressure campaign to convince Saudi Arabia and other Middle East nations not to cut oil production after a Wednesday meeting the producer cartel OPEC Plus announced a steep 2 million barrel a day cut in output sure to raise prices just five weeks before a crucial election in the United States. The news comes as Russia, also a major producer, says it may also cut production to shore up prices. Secretary of State Antony Blinken expressed disappointment in diplomatic language with the OPEC decision. Thank you very much. Um, 
With regard to, uh, to energy, um, first, what we've been clear about is the need for energy supply to, to meet demand. That's what we've been working on across the board. And we've done our part. Um, United States oil production is up by more than 500,000 barrels a day. As you know, uh, we have tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as well to make sure that uh, energy is on the market and also as a way to, uh, to stabilize prices. Indeed, energy prices have come down as a result of the efforts uh, that we've made. Um, and when it comes to OPEC, we've made clear uh, our, uh, our views to, uh, to OPEC members. The United States has been promoting an oil price cap, forcing Asian and other nations that buy Russian oil to pay below market prices to starve Russia of foreign exchange. However, economist Jack Rasmus says Russia is already selling discount oil to India and China and has yet to suffer negative consequences. price cap uh, that they're proposing is that uh, the Europeans will agree, everyone signs on to the price cap, to only buy Russian oil at some price which is well below the supply and demand determined market price. In other words, they won't buy it at the market price. They're agreeing that they'll buy it, all of them together, only at a lower price. You know, this kind of nonsense, it means that Europe thinks they can control the price of global oil, regardless of supply and demand. That's not going to happen. I, I think it's a dumb idea. Because what Russia's going to do, which it already indicated it will do, is it, it just won't sell them any oil at all. <laughs> You know, so the hell with the price cap. But the price cap idea with Europe is really the first step of what they hope would be to then next step, apply the price cap idea to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world supposedly is going to go along with buying cheaper Russian oil. What they're probably proposing is to use the Western controlled shipping insurance companies to enforce it. In other words, if the rest of the world, if Indonesia or wherever, does not buy at the European price cap price, below market price, the shippers won't insure the tankers carrying the oil to those countries. So it's really secondary sanctions on the rest of the world is what they've got in mind here. Describe for us what a secondary sanction. Secondary sanction is to get the rest of the world that's not going along with the primary sanctions. In other words, Europe and the U.S. and G7 are going along with the primary sanctions that have already been instituted. The rest of the world, most of the world is not going along with those sanctions. They're trying to find a way to pressure the rest of the world to go along with the sanctions. And that's what this idea is, setting the price cap below the market price and then enforcing it with the shipping insurers. If it's a lower price, Russia is going to earn fewer dollars and therefore that's going to slow their economy and their military. Previous to this interview, I was listening to a clip by the Secretary of State who was almost begging OPEC and other oil producers <laughs> to uh, to do the opposite of what they did today and cut production in tandem Russia that's and right. with Russia. The whole thing there is to uh, raise the price of oil, keep it up. There's another angle to this price cap here that most media hasn't been talking about. If the price cap in Europe, now instituted, results in Russia cutting off all the oil, that's still some of it's still flowing as you know exports to EU. If there's no more Russian oil, then guess who's going to step in and provide the oil? The U.S. oil companies. That means that U.S. energy companies will have supplanted Russia 
exports to Europe, just as they've already done with uh, liquid natural, natural gas. The U.S. is squeezing Europe here to drive Russia out of the energy markets, and then the U.S. corporations are going to step in, as they have with gas, as they will with oil, and they're going to charge the Europeans a higher price. Got off the phone a little while ago with a friend of mine who's a political, politically-minded person in Bavaria, and he says that there's literally a palpable fear of, and it's not, it's not hyperbole, he said, of uh, freezing, of starvation, of lack of food in Germany. Yeah, it's very, very serious. In fact, I think the German, uh, one of the German officials uh, came out today very strongly, uncharacteristically, criticizing the U.S. for selling them natural gas at an inflated price. In other words, they're price gouging the Germans here as they push the Russians out. <laughs> and the same thing with the price caps, as I said, is going to happen with oil. It's driving the Russians out and making Europe more dependent, an economic appendage of the U.S. you got to think about this in terms of the empire and imperial strategy. The U.S., after Trump, you know, with a kind of losing control of NATO and Europe, now, of course, they've reestablished U.S. hegemony economic, politically over Europe like never before. Economist Jack Rasmus, he's the author of numerous books, including The Scourge of Neoliberalism. And you're listening to the news. I'm Paul Durienzo. Georgia Senate candidate and football legend Herschel Walker continues to deny he paid for a former girlfriend's abortion, even after the Daily Beast published evidence he not only knew the woman, but had a child with her. Despite the implication of a Trump-supporting black Christian candidate having paid for his girlfriend's abortion, and while there's nothing wrong with that, unless, like Walker, you call for putting women in prison for having an abortion, Right-wing gadfly Dana Loesch was on Twitter yesterday. She says she doesn't care about Walker's personal life as long as he supports her right-wing agenda. It doesn't change anything for me. I don't know if he did it or not. I don't even care. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. If the Daily Beast story is true... You're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion and Warnock wants to use all of our monies to pay a whole bunch of skanks for abortions. And yes, when they're used predominantly over 99% of birth control and it's my taxpayer dollars, you have invited me up in your business and I will use whatever descript I would like to. Thank you. Arguably, the most interesting commentary comes from Walker's son, Christian Walker, a right-wing blogger who blasted his dad as a hypocrite. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I have a silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. 
Everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say, I'm being suspicious for saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with the lies. When you all have been calling me saying, is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not going to win Georgia, this candidate all. That's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day one. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've done. Christian Walker is the son of right-wing Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. And finally, this year marks 75 years since the founding of the Central Intelligence Agency. While most spies like to keep their identity secret, today is James Bond Day and marks 60 years since the release of the first movie featuring the suave and deadly British agent. My name is Bond, James Bond. My instructions were implicit. I was to leave for Jamaica in two hours. License to kill. Now you maybe miss it. You don't miss a thing. I decided to accept your invitation. I have to leave immediately. Just as things were getting interesting again. That's the film Dr. No. Dr. No was an arch-evil villain together with his nemesis, Bond, and the beautiful Ursula Andress in a bikini with a combat knife to match. They set the franchise on a course that continues to this day. Based on the novels by Ian Fleming, there are now 25 or 27 films in the series, depending on how you count, and seven actors played the iconic agent with the license to kill. The first, and maybe most memorable, was Scottish actor Sean Connery. And that's the news for Thursday morning, October 6, 2022. The news was written and anchored by me, Paul DiRienzo. You can get news daily at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.